Welcome to Gerstel's Making Labs Work podcast. It's a show about analytical chemistry, interesting instruments, and the challenging analytical problems that they solve. Welcome to this new episode of the Making Labs Work podcast here at Gerstel. And we are talking about stories around the analytical chemistry. And of course, on the other side of the line is Kurt Thaxton. Hello, Kurt. Hey, Jan. Great to be back again. It's always fun to be doing this. Oh, so many great stories to tell. Yes, I'm very excited about the new stories we get today. You know our guest, so it's your turn to uh, introduce our guest today. Let me take the honor of slightly introducing our guest. Our guest today is Jess Howell, who I've known for a number of years, and she's known people at Gerstle even longer. Uh, by the way, Jackie Whitecabbage says hi from Baltimore. I guess you talked to her yesterday. Uh, so, so anyway. Uh, we, <laughs> hi, we, Jackie. We know, yeah, so she'll, she'll end up hearing this. But yeah, so, so we've known Jess a number of years. Jess. Uh, 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 Jess is also a, a friend and colleague of another someone else who was on our podcast, uh, Kevin McNamara, who was a who we recorded several months ago. So they have a, they have a shared background, but I don't want to spoil all that. I'll definitely leave that all up to Jess. So Jess, just to tell everybody who you are and how you got here. Hi, um, I'm Jess Hal. I will start by saying I've always had this idea of understanding things from a multi dimensional aspect. So I started with my bachelor's degree from Western Kentucky University many years ago. And my degree was in psychobiology and biophysics with chemistry background. So I like the idea of learning about things um, and looking at them from a multivariate approach when it comes to disciplines. Then I went on and got my PhD at Michigan State University. It was in food science and also toxicology with a biomedical emphasis. And from there, I went to work for a small flavor company out on the East Coast called Systems Bioindustries. At that company, I did a lot of flavor um, matching analysis and specifications for raw materials and working with the um, plant to um, make sure that the flavors that were being produced tasted right or were correct. From there, I went to Pernod Ricard. Um, mm. And at Pernod Ricard is where I met Kevin McNamara, um, who really was the person responsible for really mentoring me and changing my career path. And in opening it up, he taught me a lot about analytical chemistry um, he introduced me to um, several people at Gerstow, including Jackie, who has been a wonderful help throughout the years. And we worked on several projects together. So I spent a lot of time at Pernod looking at gin and whiskey. And from there, I moved to the um, coffee industry and did coffee aroma analysis for the Folgers Company, which is part of James Mucker. Spent several years looking at coffee aroma and went back at the end after the pandemic um, was finishing. I moved back to Cincinnati and I'm working now at ADM under in the flavor business. So kind of gone full circle, started my career in flavors 
and and I'm ending my career in labor. So it's wonderful. And not only that, I mean, and, and our listeners outside the U.S. may not know this. You've you've been in the two best places in the United States for flavor and fragrance work. But the biggest one, of course, is the northern New Jersey area uh, that where you started out in flavor and fragrance, and then. The number two place ends up being the Cincinnati, Ohio area um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, c- certainly there's a lot. We've got everything in bourbon nearby uh, in Kentucky and a lot of work that goes on there. You and I have a couple of common friends like Luke Adam uh, that, that are involved down in, uh, in, in that industry. But there's this little company called Procter & Gamble that I think some of our listeners might be familiar with. Um, it's headquartered in Cincinnati. So it's not it's really weird. Um there's a guy that I drink wine with on a regular basis. He works at P&G and we end up talking about volatiles. It's just kind of, it's strange. <laughs> it's a yeah, weird place to is, be. <laughs> it is strange that out in the middle of the Midwest in Cincinnati, there would be so many different companies, and especially flavor companies as well as P&G. Um, and Folgers actually was part of P&G at one time yeah. and they were sold off. Yeah. When you worked for Folgers, though, you were still in Ohio. That was that was north, right? That was close to Akron. Yes, right. It was in the Akron area. Um, started actually down in Cincinnati, and then helped move the lab up to um, the corporate headquarters for Smuckers, which is near Akron. It's a little town called Orville. Ohio. That's right. Orville. Yeah. yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, nice place. It's very scenic. It has all that small town thing. So Yeah, very small one thing, town. One of the things I wanted to ask you, going back to your time with Kevin starting out, I didn't know this until Kevin did this podcast with us. He actually did large volume injections of whiskey. I mean, that, yes. that, that, that just boggles my mind. I mean, someone did like, oh, don't have a sensitivity. So let's take 10 microliters of what's mostly ethanol and the rest of it's right. water <laughs> right. and see what happens. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I was amazed by that too. Um, and I think he went even higher than 10 microliters. Oh and I never forgot that. Um, and actually today we just were working on an analysis where we needed more sample, um, you know, to look for t- those little tiny peaks. And, you know, I talked to Jackie, of course, and um, built up a large volume injection method um, for our company. So it's a great technique. I don't think it's well known or well uh, utilized enough, um, but it's definitely valuable. So, yes. And I'd agree with that. LVI, also known as PTV injections for I always hate that mm-hmm. programmable temperature vaporizer. No one right, knows what that is. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I always, I always yeah. think of the large volume injection. But yeah, the, the, it, it's incredibly helpful. Um, it's very non-selective, at least compared to everything else that's out there. And it, it, it's a great way to work. I, this is just my opinion. I think LVI, only the reason people don't use it as much is the mass specs got so much more sensitive that they started to you know fix the problems yeah. the mass, on the detector side. So I think that's what killed that. But what do you think? Well, Kurt, if you combine that with some of the other techniques that Gerstle have for um, sample preparation, you can um, reduce like, you know, extractions and you can streamline your workflow so that everything is automated. And then, you know, you can use a small amount of, of sample, like we can use a small amount of beverage. We can very accurately and precisely automate an extraction process, and then use large volume injection to increase the amount that goes on the column to find um, small compounds. So 
I think combining all the wonderful techniques that Gersel offers with their um, instrument really helps. So that's how we're using it today. We start, I started out using it um, with Kevin's help on some analysis, I believe, for carbamate. But now mm. I think the power of it is with all the automation because you can build up large data sets. You can, um, you know, build up a lot of data, mine that data, use AI um, to find trends and different aspects that you may not have been able to do 20 years ago. Yeah, I think you're so, right about that. That's where the growth right now I see. Um, you know, that there was a period where everyone went solvent-free, like you said, trying to make their life right. easier. I mean, those safe extractions and flavor fragrance are still like the gold standard. I, I hated right. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, really a lot of work. <laughs> but that now the back-end data analysis has gotten so much better. And, and it's starting to get more tailored to what we do. I remember... Oh, geez, like 2003, getting a copy of Pirouette saying, hey, you can do, you know, you can do chemometrics with Pirouette. And, well, it wasn't written from the analytical chemist's point of view. So you needed, right. to, needed to know the more the chemometrics to be able to pull that off. And what I see you know, changing now, we, we're getting involved in a lot of this. We have a partner in Germany called Lablicate that does a lot of this kind of work, uh, trying to make life easier on the data analysis side. So, but mm -hmm. that's a whole other thing. I could talk forever about microplastics and I mean, we're doing crazy things with, with all of that. It used to be it used to be the event the advanced thing was like deconvolution. Oh, let's let's de let's right. get out AMDIS. Let's yes. get out AMDIS and right. deconvolve right. something. Right. Now that's just the start of a broader workflow. <laughs> just, right. It just right. it just where it begins. It's, it, it's not it's, it's not the cutting end end edge of it though. But I mean, but since you know, we we've lived through all these changes, but you've worked on both sides of this. I mean, is is the approach in flavor fragrance any different? than consumer products? I mean, do, do you handle, or for that matter, the spirits or the, the, the whiskey and all that? I mean, is it still the, s the same kinds of approach and the same kind of workflow you use with a different matrix or is it substantially different? Well, I think all the industries are asking the same question. The approach might be a little bit different looking at an ingredient versus a finished product, but I think everyone's asking the question about how do you link the analytical data with sensory data? Because taste and flavor drives um, sales, right? So yep. how do you do that the best? How, how can you look at your data and um, understand, especially on the aroma side, how the data that you produce correlates with sensory data? And are you asking the right questions when you're doing the sensory analysis or you're asking the right questions when you're doing the analytical. So I think the basic techniques have improved um, in the terms of being able to do things faster. It's changed the role of the chemists. Mm -hmm. um, so you're doing less of the wet routine lab work and more work on looking for those small peaks or finding different ways to um, build your data and, you know, finish the puzzle. Um, so I, I think the role has changed, but it's always, it's been the same question. And I think we're still a long way from totally answering that question. I think we'll be there for a long time. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, one of the things we've gotten so much better with all these chemometrics and stuff uh, and, right. and data analysis, but in the end, um, no one can tell you that there's two things they there are two things that the state of the art cannot tell you. One is this wine is good or this right. strawberry jelly is good. 
you can't make that judgment. Uh, you can say it has this class, this collection of compounds, but in the end, you got to do consumer product testing to really to know you have to connect those two to humans somehow. Um, similarly, that we can eventually tell you that this that this uh, oh, I don't let me pick some from my own background that, that, that this milk carton uh, has a couple of peaks in it that the rest of them don't. I can't tell right. you that's why that's why the milk tastes like grass. Unless I can smell that coming out of an olfactory port, and 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 that, that, that whole thing, the, the human experience is always there. Um, that that's what makes this part of analytical chemistry so different. Um, we can we can use mass spec uh, to teach you peak ratios and this library searches and say, hey, look at this. It's three mercapto, two methyl, one propene. Right. It takes a human being smelling that to know that it smells like cat urine, which was, <laughs> which actually was <laughs> complaint, complaint I dealt with many years ago. Um, so, so yeah, you, you don't really know. I mean, sometimes in this, you might find some gruff description, but you got to connect it some, so somewhere or the other. We were really lucky. And, and, and I don't know if um, this is your experience doing all this sensory, sensory stuff. We were lucky that the, though I was okay at it. Um, there was a woman who worked in our lab who's, I mean, her nose was just bar none, just picky. I mean, she could pick out anything. So, and then, you know, that's when we started looking into it later. It, it turns out that you know, being female and doing this work actually has a couple of this very particular biological advantages. Has that played out for you too, compared to some of the men you've worked with? Is it, are you, is your nose a bit more acute? I think it is, um, of course. Um, I would say so, right? But no, I think so. Um, I think sometimes you can, you get adjusted to different odors and you just don't smell them as well. Mm. But in that term, I would also say that it's not just finding an odor on a GCO. Like it's sometimes it's a combination of different odors that alter the odor of the finished product. So being able to trap those odors, the ones that you think maybe might be contributing, combine them and sniff them. It's like, you know, it, it's somewhat of an art form, but it, it's also helping you determine, is this really what the customer might be smelling? That is either an off odor or something um, valuable to the product. So I like the idea of looking at combining different um, odors and trapping as well. So how are you trapping? I'm just curious. I mean, there's many ways to do that. There's thermal absorption tubes, but I just wondered what right. else I've seen liquid nitrogen based stuff. What do you, what, what, what are your favorite ways? You may not be able to talk about what you're doing today, but over the years, what's, what have you been using? What I've used the most are just the thermal desorption tubes because mm. they work. And if you're good at doing it you can put it on and take it off and you know trap as much as you want um i've also used um more sophisticated devices but sometimes simplicity is better yeah so true. you know and usually as a chemist you're doing multiple projects and you have multiple deadlines at once so you can't spend a lot of time doing all the development so doing something simple usually works the best. Yeah. Which kind of um, device are you using for, for the trapping? Um, when, when you say you use a TDE tube, how do you connect that to the outlet of the column? Well, through the GCO port. 
So okay. we just connect the tube onto the port for the time of the odor, and then we remove mm -hmm. it. So just manually so, at the point, and you, you, right. you put it in the, in the olfactometry uh, detection port and remove that right. after when you know that the peak is over. Right. Yeah. Okay. So just to let that also the audience know that there is a possibility to do that in this way. Yeah. Because it's quite easy. Yeah, it's easy. Okay, it's manual, right. but it's easy. Oh, and the, the nice thing about that is that if you know from smelling it that that peak at eight minutes is, you know, dirty laundry kind of smell or whatever, right. you don't have to collect all of it. You just want that peak at eight minutes. Right. <laughs> you just want that. Then you can turn around and rerun it on a different column or do anything you want to do with it, mm -hmm. uh, chemicalization, whatever. Yeah, or you can take it, um, collect it. Um, we put together a small little device, we call it trap and sniff. Where we took it, we um, wrapped some heating tape around it. We put like on the end of a, I think a, a long um, pipette. And then we um, put a balloon filled with nitrogen on it. So we could take this. And if we think this is the odor that's causing the issue, we take this to our management and say, hey, this is what we're finding. Here's the odor. And here we can smell it real quick and you can, you can see firsthand what is creating the off odor. So oh, that's neat. Um, <laughs> being able to take it as a portable device to your upper management is really great. So, so, so as, I, as I understand that right, you take the, the, the TD yeah. tube where, where you collected uh -huh. the off odor, uh -huh. go to your management and say, right. hold it under your nose. And right? that's that's what you what you're expected or not. Right. Great. Right. <laughs> I love yeah, that idea. You take the balloon, you know, kind of pop push the balloon, kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah, push yeah, on yeah. it, get the flow through because you have to have that flow. Yeah, of course. Just like, yeah. So it's like a a um, ODP port, you know, a portable yeah. ODP port. A port portable ODP for yeah. a specific compound. Right. Okay. I'm going to so, run up to R&D after this. We've got, we got a new product idea. Uh, Courage. Yeah. I think we yeah. have a new idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a 5% commission on that. <laughs> yes, or, yeah. or go go to the patents. Uh, make a patent <laughs> on right. patent office. Right. Right. <laughs> right. With that. That's, a, uh, well, that's, that's what, really that, cool. Though. That's I mean, a story we would like to have here. So I never heard about that. And that's great. That's great well, to that, hear. That, 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 you know, that gets around so many problems. So, you know, when I was back doing the same stuff, We'd, we'd, we'd tell some, you know, senior vice president engineer guy, you know, is it really this? I'm like, well, come right. by the lab and we'll run a sample and you can smell it. And of course, you're not going right. to do that. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 no. they're at the too high of a level to go do that. This lets you bring the smell to them. And what I like right. about your approach is if you did all of it, um, you would you would get the smell of the entire, you know, oh, I don't know pineapple you know pineapple flavor or whatever but since you know where the off odor is you're going to just grab just that section of it and say here smell this it smells like wet socks this is why they right. don't like our pineapple <laughs> so. right it, and that leaves a lasting impression too it, oh yeah you, know, you can talk about what the compound is how much it it's bound where it may come from but actually smelling it leaves quite an impression oh, yeah. it goes directly to our nerves and to our backs deeply inside uh, in us since uh, thousands or even hundreds thousands of years in you get emotional responses. Yeah. Emotional response. I mean, that's, right. that's also. Yeah. yeah. It, you get an emotional response. When you smell something, it can bring you back to a memory that you may have even forgotten. Just oh, yeah. that smell. It takes Very you back true. to a place. 
I can guarantee you that three mercap to two methyl one propene would take me right back to 2003. But anyway, that's another, <laughs> long, <laughs> that's another long story. But anyway, mm-hmm. I'm not, not here to talk about my, 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 my cool stuff. I mean, you've got to have some good ones too. I mean, there's, there's got to be a bunch of really oddball stuff that you've smelled. I mean, that it, you ever had anything that like cleared out the room when you, when you got the standard? I, well, sure. Indole. Oh, yeah, Indole will do it. Yeah, Indole will do it. Um, Sometimes when you have someone starting out, they may not know, like, which compounds are really strong in odor. So we had, at one time, I remember when I worked at Smuckers, um, we were adding different compounds, making standards, and heating them, doing different things, checking stabilities, and Somehow we ended up with a fishy type compound. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was very, very strong. And um, especially when it was slightly heated and it was, it cleared out the lab for a couple of days. Let me tell you, it was bad. Yeah, no, so that happens. Yeah. yeah, it happens. Yeah. yeah it, we, used to, we used to do, just, there were a couple of sulfur compounds and we literally did the dilutions in the parking lot because we were just afraid. I mean, we, we didn't, oh, we didn't, we, we, we didn't want any, if something fell over, we didn't want it anywhere in that building. You know, we didn't want to be, we didn't have to explain to health and safety officer that we're the, <laughs> we're the one who cleared out the building yeah. and, and it's going to be that way for a week. <laughs> I often thought that we should have like a, an open, closed rooftop analytical lab, mm, you know, so mm-hmm. like on the nice days you can get the sun in and enjoy and then not have any issues with the volatiles. So yeah, that's a not, that's a, that, that's a great idea too. That's another one you should patent. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think that's a great. It's a great. It's a great it idea. With a swimming pool. <laughs> yeah. Using, yeah. Every lab should have that. Yes. Every, right. It, 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 every lab. Should. And, 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 and you know some of these things. I mean, people don't realize. Uh, like especially sulfur compounds or some of the ones that nitrogen people are really sensitive to. Like you said with indole and um, right. It you know if you. Sp- if you knock it over and you've got like one PPM concentration worth that's just sitting on a table, it's going to take a week for that to go away. And, and this stuff just hangs around. And even, even if, you know, if you happen to be sensitive, if you happen to be sensitive, it's even worse. So, yes. And, and then that's always a concern when in the, I think, especially in the flavor industry, because you have so many different compounds that yeah. you're working with and you have to be careful how you open them, where you open them. Um, because it can make a big difference. So what's some of the stranger flavors you've worked on? I mean, when you say, here's what I think, because uh, well, first of all, let me back up. I came from a, a food packaging background where we wanted no flavor and no fragrance. So anything okay. we found was automatically a weed, right? So it's just like, I don't want these weeds in my garden. Or on the other hand, you're trying to build a garden of flowers. You're trying to build a flavor uh, out, out of a bunch of out of a bunch of individual components. So normally when I think of building a flavor, I think of like, oh, I want to make strawberry or I mentioned pineapple or, you know, maybe maybe I want you know, something else common, you know, that's more of a common food. Because I always think that the flavors that people want are the ones that are common foods, but there's got to be some unusual ones. I mean, what's what are some of the more interesting flavors out there in the flavor industry that people haven't probably haven't heard of? Um, wow, that's a, a loaded question there. Um, I think right now the trend is a lot of savory flavors. And mm. with savory flavors, they could, I mean, be parts of meat, uh, different aspects of meat that maybe by themselves or 
you know, you don't think about um, like the fat of a meat, oh, yeah. you know, how that smells. There are always, of course, all the different tropical flavors that um, people are looking at. Some, I think there's some trend toward bimodal flavors, like, mm-hmm. and I've seen this, like, um, Coke came out with, like, orange vanilla. So you get oh, yeah. a frog, one flavor, then you get another. Um, and then even things like mushroom, um, you know, some of the notes in mushrooms are adding health benefits as well. You know, can you make it something flavorful and healthy at the same time so yeah that, that's, that's that's a great point i mean i know the whole umami thing has really picked up the the, the savory uh-huh. stuff i mean and i think that that's also been you know i, I think the american palate i can't speak for the rest of the world i think we got interested in you know like whiskey became popular again and some some of those notes are there i think right. uh, smoke smoking meat as opposed to just Frying it has become much more popular, and there's that whole set of umami uh, going on with that, and yeah, then the, the cooking of the fat. I think it, I think that drives all of that. I can see that as there we go. These money, these ideas for money keep coming up. We need to start the umami right. flavor company. We're we're, we're making sa- <laughs> <laughs> we're making sa- savory flavors yeah. on the I'm rooftop. A, on the rooftop, I'm going to yeah. make an apple. I'm going to make an apple <laughs> taste like a steak. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Or I don't know if you've seen those um, beverages that people come up with. Like I think there are a couple of companies that have made coffee flavor without coffee. So, oh yeah, or or they'll make martinis without um, alcohol just by adding the flavors together. So that yeah, that's a a little bit of a trend too. I'm going to look up the martini one because my, my wife's going to be very interested. Uh, she loves a good martini, yeah. but you can't you can't do it. No matter what you see on the show right. TV show Mad Men, there is no three martini lunch. <laughs> yeah, you will not be coming back to work after that. <laughs> not going to yeah. happen. Or it, it would be like the the virtual, like you could virtually. You don't have to consume your food. You can just virtually sniff it and taste it that way. Well, there we go. A- you can, now you're really it's tapping the moneymaker there. If you can right. not eat but experience eating, right. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then you have something. I don't know. Some big matrix to chew along with it. You know. Yeah. Then we don't need as empty. You know. We know. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> there we go. Back to the R and D department. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I have one, one question. Have you any experience with Norwegian meat things uh, and and the flavors coming out of that? Have you done anything in, in this direction the, to clone the, the the smell and then the the taste of of uh, meat in in vegan uh, food? It, that, that whole beyond meat thing you know that that, that whole right. you know, artificial meat thing have you been involved in any of that you, you know that adm is a major producer of soybeans in um pea proteins so they 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 get grains and they make different types of vegetable protein powders and we sell these as ingredients that go into many mm-hmm. different products yep. um Many of them are the vegan meat analog products. And mm. so, yes, we do do a lot of work on that and um, a lot of cutting edge work. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, that's got to be cool. I'm going to stop you there because I know I know from my own experience talking to some of those people that it's really hush hush about what you right, what you put right. together to, to make right. a good cheeseburger. <laughs> right. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. So very true. But it is a, a major trend right now in the food industry to um, you, to try to mimic meat flavor or make it better or make it more healthier. Um, so those are things that I think all large food companies are working on to yeah. some degree. Mm-hmm. So I had another question for you. Um, you know, it popped in my head thinking back to the, the one woman I used to work with. Um, so back, back 20 years ago, there was her and a couple others in the lab and most of it was the rest of us guys. Um, was it that way when you started out? Has it gotten any different? Is it a little more even? Um, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, when I started out, I would go to a lot of analytical meetings um, in the companies I work for, and I might be the only woman um, in the group. Obviously, it, you know, you get used to it, but it, it is a little bit maybe sometimes uncomfortable or you feel sometimes intimidated by that. Now, I would say that there are a lot more women I would say 30 to 40% um, that I work with and companies are changing. Um, we have a lot at Aiding. We have a lot of women in upper management and um, things have changed. I've seen a big change in um, how people look at, you know, family life and having a balance between home life, yeah. raising a family and and that goes for both men and women too. Yep. You know, it's it's just not a, a woman. It used to be a woman's issue, but now it's not, it's a family issue. And and I think companies are realizing that. And if you have if you balance that well and you're open to being flexible, you're gonna get the best employees. Yeah, I think so too. I mean and I think, you know, COVID probably played into that some as well. At least certainly did for those, you know, in, in our industry where Okay, tell you what, uh, there's a there's a there's a sports game I, that my daughter is playing in. I don't want to miss it. I'm going to work from home from noon right. to whatever and go to that. And 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 and, and, and I, I think they're much more open to that post COVID. Um, what kind of advice would you have for someone uh, for a young woman starting out now uh, as a chemist or analytical chemist? Or is there anything you've learned you think is really key to adjusting to uh, the corporate environment? Well, a, a couple of things. Number one, try to find a mentor. Um, mm. It doesn't have to be a woman. It could be a man. It doesn't really matter. Find someone who has, you know, who's has a job similar to what you can envision yourself in in maybe five or 10 years um, and talk to them on a regular basis and get their opinions on things that you're wanting to do. So finding a mentor, um, getting that extra support is beneficial. A lot of companies now have women's groups and um, other minority groups that you can join and participate in that also give you a little bit more support. And no, you're not going to change um, people's um, biases overnight. The best thing that I've found to combat bias was to stick to the science because yeah. when you're talking science, it doesn't matter who's talking, right? It's science and scientists love to talk science. So yep. if you're sticking yep. to that, yep. you know, people 
they forget who you are. They don't care. Yeah. They just want to know about the science. So Yeah, I mean, you got the numbers, you got the numbers. I, I always right. joke that the, the difference between people in the instrument world and everyone else is that, you know, if I'm selling a car, I can tell you how good the car will be. And if I'm telling you a mass spectrometer, you're going to say, um, show me your detection limits. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we are, we are a very data oriented group over here uh, in, in analytical chemistry and in science in general. And I think certainly that probably helps even things out. So that, absolutely. Yes. Uh, the, I'd also had, um, no matter who you are, um, especially in a corporate world, jump out there and get involved in the crazy stuff. You know, um, yes. a lot of people don't want to take risks. They worry about their career. And um, I think probably the best thing that can ever happen to you is losing or changing your job. So because it, it helps you see something different. But getting involved in crazy projects is another aspect of that. Right. And, and I think you got to get involved in some of the bizarre, the bizarro things out there. Um, you know, like in my case, the cat paper thing, uh, which or cat the cat urine thing in the paper. I'm, I'm sure you've got a bunch of examples right. of bizarre stuff uh, from coffee or whatever else that had been interesting. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because if if you stick with just the the basics, you will learn them. You can do them well, but to really grow and really do something that's going to impact the industry, just coming up with or talking to other people, talking to the marketing group, finding out what consumers are wanting, what's missing in a product. For example, with coffee, um, coffee when you know when you open coffee it will start staling and it won't taste the same. So, right. you know, people say, oh, you can't do anything about that. You know, that's just how it is. And a lot of people just accept that. Um, but getting involved in those projects and saying, okay, well, what creates the staling? How could we do something different? You know, um, doing some brainstorming, working with, other groups to understand from a broader perspective the impact or different ways you might look at it. And I know that being in projects like that, not only are they fun, they're challenging. And at some times you might think, oh, your boss is crazy. Like, there's no way you can do that. <laughs> I've had so many projects. It's like, come on, really? You know, that's not possible. But then I had to say, okay, wait, Jess, is it really not possible? How would I do it? You know, and start talking to people and start working on them. And then you're going to make those leaps. And that's going to help your industry. That's going to help your job, your career. And it's going to help the company that you're working with. That certainly has to drive your entire uh, self-confidence up when that kind of stuff goes on, too. I mean, even even after work, right. you know, you come home like, yes, I, I didn't think I could do it, but I did it. Exactly. And then suddenly, uh, suddenly you have the courage to do to, to take on something else and, and, and see where it's going. I mean, you're right. Yeah. Sometimes your boss is crazy. We had a we had a uh, we had somebody at the VP level tell us we, we thought we had the odor issue worked out. He goes, great. Put put three different shifts on it until it's solved. And we're like, um, you realize that most of the time they're going to be watching this GC cycle <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but you're right about the mentor thing, because if you've got a good mentor that they, they will talk to you. I, I was lucky uh, right. that, that there, there was somebody uh, early on in my career that, that, that talked to talk me through, introduced me to thermal desorption, introduced me into, to ODP and, 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 and all of that. And uh, that, that was it. That was a key to it. And I think, um, I know, and you know, I th you know who she is too. The, the woman who works with us now, uh, works for us now, um, Nicole Kafora used to work for Al Robot, uh, who, you know, and, uh, right. and Al, Al was one of her mentors. And I, I think, I think everybody 
who gets involved in this uh, needs a mentor someplace to get to get somewhere. Right. Yeah, and I will say Kevin McNamara was definitely my mentor, and I I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all of his help um, throughout my time at Pernod Ricard, especially um, just introducing me and making me think broadly about different techniques. You know, so I'm just not looking at okay, I can do this step funnel extraction, I can get this. Um, data out of it but you know what else can I do or how else might I look at it and he introduced me a lot to people at Gerstle, at Bangkok, Jackie, Fred Foster has been oh, very yeah. helpful yeah. Um, just wonderful people. Yeah, Fred's one of our LC guys, and I think I think right. I, I always forget that. I mean, I'm I'm so yeah. obsessed with my little GC centric thermal absorption side of the world. There's a whole <laughs> there's this whole other side. Flavor fragrance really is done with LC too. <laughs> so. Right, it is. It, it's so important. Um, you know, looking at the non volatiles, how they impact. It's just not the volatiles, right? Right. It's because the non volatiles will affect the matrix, how things are displayed in your mouth. Um, it's quite important to understand both sides. No, no, that, that, absolutely. Yeah. The, yeah. There's more and more of that. I mean, the, the metals are involved in it too, to a low extent, mostly about toxicity, but that, that's there. But the, the LC, the LC side is just as important as the GC side. I've seen this actually close to both of us in Cincinnati, um, at Ohio state, uh, Devin Peterson. Thank you. So, so, so <laughs> in Central Ohio, there's a at Ohio State where I went to grad school. Actually, um, he's, uh, Dr. Devin Peterson is, is a big guy in, in flavor fragrance, and uh, yeah, about half of what I've seen him up to lately all is all some LCMS approach to something uh, in flavor. So, it, it really is that side of it's really grown, and and, and I'm pretty impressed with how, how how that's going. So, now look, I need to stop in on on on, uh, on Devin when I get it, when I get when I finally get back. In the United States, so which will yes. which will be tomorrow, actually, as it turns out. I think the LCMS, um, it's the new frontier. You know, understanding how the matrix affects flavor. We know a lot about aroma chemicals. We know a lot about aroma analysis. Um, we don't know so much about how things change or impact flavors. And a lot of the work he's done has shown that um, different compounds that are non-volatile will affect how a flavor displays or a certain aspect of it. So right. um, absolutely wonderful work. Yeah, you yeah. can actually scalp out stuff. I mean, it, it changes right. the entire aroma profile if it scalps out and removes things you things you needed to smell. Uh, to, right. You know. So I mean, you can, you can imagine if that happened with like tea. Like you need you need to, you need to taste linalool to, to to let you know that you're drinking tea. Well, what if it scalps it right. out? Then it does it doesn't taste like tea anymore. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Or in coffee, looking at bitter compounds, for instance, you know, um, a lot of those are non, most of them are non-volatile, some of them are volatile, but you know, what compounds can you add more or change the way you roast to alter the effect of bitter compounds? And I mean, he's worked a lot on that. Um, He's worked on just the display of different parts of the the coffee, for instance. I, I know we work with him on some projects related to coffee, you know, it, it, through his FREC organization where they're working so much with industry, coming up with ideas that um, are sponsored by industry that will benefit, you know, both industry and the consumer. 
it's really been valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'd agree with all that. Um, related to that peripherally, um, maybe you can settle an argument because um, this happens all the time here about coffee and you have all this background in coffee and caffeine does affect the flavor of coffee, but it's not a primary contributor. But what's the argument? The argument is always about which level of roast has the most caffeine in it. I, I want to hear what your thoughts are on this. I think it's asking the wrong question. It's more about what beans you're using because robusta beans are usually much higher in caffeine than Arabica. So, oh. um, but most consumers like the flavor of Arabica beans. And if you, you know, go to a gourmet coffee shop, chances are, you'll be buying products that are almost 100% Arabica. In fact, they'll state that on the label as, you know, as a positive attribute. Um, so really Robusta has almost, not quite, but has a lot more caffeine associated with it. So adding a blend of Robusta, um, and some Robusta beans actually taste quite good. So it's, it's how you roast them, changes the flavor, um, and um, if you really want a jolt of caffeine, I would buy a blend that had Robusta in it. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah. what I'd heard from one, from, from one uh, uh, coffee maker that I'd visited in Hawaii, actually, was that the supposed oh. the medium roast was supposed to be the better, better way to go. But uh, I guess the argument there, I think, was the dark roast, you know, uh, the volatility of caffeine, blah, blah, blah. But it sounds like the much more important thing is, like you said, well, which bean did you start with? And of course, right. what I've seen now with these cured cups, uh, um, or these K cups that are that have coffee in them, they're adding caffeine to them to, to make to make really crazy. Uh, uh, well, I, I was a grad student once with with a with a two or three year old kid at the time, so the, all that caffeine load can, can be helpful at certain times. And a lot of people now are um, turning toward energy drinks um, instead of coffee. Mm especially the younger generation. I think they're yep. more in tune with energy drinks, um, like in the flavor profile, maybe some of the healthier benefits. Um, but I'm a little fashion. I like dark roast black coffee. So that's what I drink. Yes, me too. <laughs> I, my sister gives me trouble. She says, she says, I always drink a cup of candy because I always put, I always put cream in mine. I, I can't get out of it. I love hazelnut. And yeah. Speaking of flavors, I mean, hazelnuts, hazelnut creamer is probably my absolute favorite. My wife can't stand it, but um, yeah. that, that, that's how I keep her out of my coffee. Uh, I can just put hazelnut in there and it works fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Before we come slowly to an end, I have just a question you mentioned in the, right in the beginning of our talk. That was a side sentence um, that you use AI to explore data. Yes. So I'm so deep in, in AI and, and, and I'm so interested in, in these things for pictures, for, for other things, and then all the stuff we, we need today in our business. And not in the analytical business, more in my business, creating things. And now you, you get my interest to what are you doing and with, with which tools you are working with AI today to explore data? What is, what is behind that? Well, I'm... I Several things. Um, you don't have to limit to just the analytical data. You can now collect data throughout your whole entire process. 
and um, look for changes, variables that affect flavor profiles. Um, mm. You can understand maybe how different products might be perceived better by consumers. You can add consumer data in. Mm -hmm. So I think looking at multi um, components of a data set, not just limiting it to analytical mm -hmm. data. So it's more um, multidimensional in, in, right. in production, in user data, right. in consumer data, and yeah. analytical data, and put that all together. Yes. So when when everybody's talking about ChatGPT, for example, throw everything right. in and say, hey, what's the result of that? So something like in that right. direction. That That is a, a definite strong direction I think most companies are going in now. Um, but you can also narrow down it and even just look at the analytical data. And um, now that there's so much more automation, you can collect and get a lot more data because you're, you're spending your time as a chemist differently. You're not spending so much doing the, the wet analysis. You're spending more time looking at the results mm -hmm. and um, finding peaks, finding compounds. Um, so you can collect a lot more data quicker. And and then you can take that data, you can look for trends, you can build predictive models, you can use that, if you have enough data, you can build neural networks and um, find out a lot of things about what's going on with a, a certain product or trends in a product. So I think it's a, a very um, hot topic right now. And I think we're just scratching the surface and learning how to mm -hmm. use it. Yep. You, they really got my attention now. Um, so, you know, going back to, for me, it's back in the day. I could, most, of the, most, most of my life now is making PowerPoints, so, which is really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> but but, <clears throat> but going, back in the day when someone, so, so some engineer would say, hey, we got an odor problem. Uh, here's, right. five, here's five samples. Four of them were controls that we had stored. Here's the odor problem. Um, you know, right. tell, us, tell us what the difference is. What's the odor? And we run the four controls and all four would be different from each other. <laughs> right, right, right. And that, that's something I, I, I'm not sure, depending on where you come from in our audience, you may or may not know. I mean, at the level we're talking about, uh, that some of these flavor things are, flavor and fragrances are active at, at, at low part per million, part per billion levels, even good samples will all be different from each other in some way. Now, now classically, the solution to that was what I would, what I used to call sample amalgamation, which was, well, okay, we'll mix them all together into one sample and sample them at once and create a representative sample. That can, so we can do a simple two-way comparison, one-on-one -on -one as opposed to four-on-one. What you've got me thinking about now is why do that? If you've got the AI behind it, the AI should be able to pick out, okay, the, these four samples have differences, but there's they're pretty much the same and they are not in the other sample. I mean, maybe that's the future where this kind of work is going. That's really cool. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, and you can even use things like um, PCA analysis just to look for variations, you know, in your data set, which is more of a multivariate analysis approach. Um, the other thing I think to point out is many times people will see, like, a, um, you'll give them a number of value for a certain compound. And then they'll see a lower number or higher number in the next analysis. And what they wonder, is this different? Or they'll say, there's a problem with my product because here's a spec limit or here's a spec on this product. And then this one is much lower. 
um, without really understanding or knowing what the variability in the analysis is. So I think a lot of work chemists are, are doing now is educating um, other groups on what does the data mean? You know, mm-hmm. what what does it mean when I give you a value for something? What is the range, you know, are they really different or are they the same? And what do I need? When is it important for me to add more samples and look in more detail and look for variability? And when is it not really important and just a rough ballpark number is good enough? So really talking with the customers that in for chemists, maybe the customer might be um, a flavorist, or it might be someone in the marketing and whoever you're working with, maybe it's an engineer in a plant and in understanding when it's, you know, how to sample products, when they need several samples, having that conversation and not just um, having someone drop off a sample and then getting a result and not really ever having that conversation. So I, I think that's important. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And, and you know, and take, going back to the beginning of the, the discussion, I mean, maybe that's maybe AI is the final link that would, in, at least in a few cases, substitute the human. But it, it, mm-hmm. it, it, I think we're we're early on yet to see where that goes. But th- that could be where it finally goes. I mean, and and to your point about you know, it's about the right data. Um, right. You know, I, I, in terms of characterizing a sample, um, some of the multidimensional techniques like multidimensional GC are great. But you know. I'm really critical um, when I see a lot of that data. Like, oh, look, look at all these classes. You've got you got these alkanes and these alkenes, and you know you can see all this multidimensional right. stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but none of those smell like sulfur. We know that we know from customer data they're complaining of a sulfur taste. I don't need to see all that other stuff. So, right. so, 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 so maybe maybe yeah. AI is the way to actually look at all this compli- these complicated data sets because, like you said, it, it's a lot easier to gather a bunch of data now. Um, right. and, it, and, it, and it can be ridiculously huge, especially if you roll a high res mass spec into it. I just reading them today, oh, yes. I, think, I think it was an LCGC article where, where somebody had talked about uh, a, a multidimensional high resolution GCMS, GCGC high res data, data file, single data file, 30 oh. gigabytes, 30 gigabytes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you want to compare those to each other, you have to load them all into RAM. So, all right. right so I want to compare 10 of these against each other. I have to have 300 gigabytes of RAM plus the operating system to right. hack that. And, and, and it, it's, at some point, yes, it's all gotten cheaper now, but there's still a limit, practical limit to what you can do with all that processing. And maybe AI can help us with that. That's an interesting idea. I think AI can help, but I think AI is almost an assistance, you also have to be asking the right questions. Of course. Mm, and, yeah. and knowing what questions um, to ask to really answer the problem, I think that's still something that needs to be done by a human and, um, and then use AI to help assist answer that question. It's a tool. It's uh, yeah. In the moment, it's just a tool. Even in our region, more or less a tool. It's, it will not remove me from my job. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things I promise our listeners will do. Um, so Jan and I did this experiment, like that was back in the winter. Um, we got on a chat GPT and said, hey, um, show us two chromatograms of two whiskey samples. <laughs> I, just, okay. I, 
Uh, it was not ChatGPT. It was a, a picture orientated program, Midjourney, uh, uh -huh. on, on a bot running, uh, which is a little bit you. more complex, but but it, it's an AI. And when we get a picture, it was in preparation of um, the podcast with Kevin McNamara. And um, mm -hmm. yes, and, and we, we get a, a nice picture of a wooden table with two whiskeys on, chromatograms lying on that. And uh, it was very atmospheric <laughs> picture about it, that. It was pretty cool. I mean, it, 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 when, when you look at it as a chemist, you're like, no, wait, the chromatogram is not right. We, oh, peaks, right. Peaks, don't, right. Don't, peaks don't go below the baseline. They're in the above. So it got a few right. things wrong, but it was amazing at how much it got right. I'm like, right. Yeah, yeah, it looks and emotional. It was a great picture from yeah, the emotional it, it, side. And it, it, it is now my desktop background and has yeah. been ever since. I can't, I can't get past it. <laughs> Yeah. I, can't, I, I can't give. I, I promise we'll share. We'll share that somewhere, someplace in, in, in Gerstle world. That's going to wind up out there. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, we, we, we got to put that up. At least I'll give it away. Is actually getting back to making money again. I should sell it as a background. There yep. we go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> open up my own GoFundMe site. Start, start, <laughs> start a Kickstarter program. <laughs> Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly. Oh okay. my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, we, we are leaving I, the path. I think a little bit. Yeah. Less. A little bit off the. A little bit off the path. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to see this picture now. <laughs> yeah, you, you will. You will. No problem. You'll, you'll see it shortly after we're done. So yeah. Speak, 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 speaking of which, I, I could talk to you all day. We should probably cut ourselves off. Maybe, maybe we'll do another yeah. whole separate show on on AI once there's a little more going on with it. Yeah. Um, we're a little bit deeper into it. But uh, one thing we definitely would like to do um, is give you a chance to talk about you know where you're headed next. Um, you headed to conferences. You got any papers or anything going on? Is ADM uh, have any positions? Because I know a lot of our younger listeners will be interested in something like that. So what, what's going on in the next couple of months uh, professionally? Well, um, professionally, we are just working really hard here at ADM. We are looking for, um, actually, we are currently looking for a manager in our analytical science group um, mm. because our current manager is wanting to retire soon. Um, so someone who has a lot of labor background and management experience, um, please feel free to apply at adm.com. Um, so we have that going on, um, just enjoying, you know, working on a multitude of projects and keeping busy and keeping talking a lot with Jackie and probably some with Fred and, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. pushing the limits. Um, yeah. the analysis like what can we do next so yeah, yeah that's, that's really that's cool so uh, will I see you at FlavorCon uh, I, I, I will probably go it's because it's in Cincinnati I mean that, that's why I bring this up <laughs> I know uh, uh, possibly um, if not you know I, I will see you probably around um, town in Mason area because you know we yeah. we live fairly close by so we'll yeah. see each other some place or sometime oh, but oh well i'm sure and, and, yeah. and if you if it does happen to be flavor con i'm gonna buy some coffee yeah. and you're going to critique it for me all right <laughs> okay okay what's okay. our arabica yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah I, 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 i'll tell you what it, it it was i really got spoiled working in the coffee industry when i started i drank almost anything you put in front of me i said oh that's great that's great and then you know the more you learn about it the more particularly you become so yeah i i can could can critique it for sure but um yeah i now i'm back into trying to learn to just enjoy it 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. and I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you don't need to memorize to yourself all the flavor notes it's got in it. It's like, no, it's just a right. cup of coffee, darn it. <laughs> right, right. You know, or, or learning to eat food without telling my family, well, this has this note or, you know, this is high in hexanal. Oh my goodness. You know, my, my kids say, just stop. No chemistry at the table. It's like, no phones for them, no chemistry for me. You know, so. That's the right answer from them. It it, it is a great answer. Yeah. And and if you don't know everyone else out there, hexanal is the flavor of grass, the smell and flavor of fresh cut grass, which drives you crazy in the milk. Um, I have another colleague, Ray Marsili, who used to work, uh, used to work for a couple of dairy companies and, Hexanal is like the worst thing you want to have happen to you. Um, right. Because it can come from so many places. If the cow eats too much grass, guess what? You taste hexanal. It, it, if the right. food packaging yeah. wasn't made right, you taste hexanal. <laughs> there, there's, yeah. there's like 16 different ways you can go about, you can go about getting hexanal. It's, 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 it's like every, every animal chemist nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oxidation yeah. of fats will give you hexanal. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> drives you nuts. Yeah. Oh, anyway, on, on that note, I'll go. I'm going to go ahead and cut us off. Um, I think there might be another podcast coming to, uh, that we we'll go through in, in more of this later because this, this is the, the highlight of my, highlight of my day for uh, for sure. So I uh, really really enjoyed it. So, I've enjoyed it as well. Perfect. So um, it, we put some some notes and some some informations in our show notes. Thank you, Jess, for for being here. It was a pleasure to meet you here uh, and ha- have a nice talk. Even the AI part is uh, more or less my my favorite now. And of course, the portable ODP. Uh, that's yeah. what we are we, where we Make have to talk it. about later on. Yeah, they, 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 they're just right upstairs. Yeah. Those guys, they're right upstairs. That's where I'll be headed after right. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. So thank we'll you very much it. for being our guest today and um, be, being here in our podcast. Have a nice time. Yep. See Have you hopefully somewhere, weekend. somewhere um, in the world. And yes, thank you very yeah. much for being here. Yep. Well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed um, yep. talking to you guys. Great. Yeah, me too. And I'm sure I'll see you again, like you said, sometime soon. Yeah. So thank, thanks again, Jess. Goodbye, All everyone. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.